0: For our Thanksgiving message this morning, I wanted to take a look at a story as told to us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. The words are on the screen behind me, but if you'd like to follow along, you may do so by turning in your pew Bibles to page number 1041. Again, the story comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, his 17th chapter looking at, starting at verse 11. The text says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, being Jesus, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When doing my research for this sermon this morning, I included in my study John Calvin's commentary on this text. And in reading through that, he made this comment that just jumped out at me. He says, poverty and hunger beget faith, but abundance kills it. Poverty and hunger begets faith, but abundance kills it. In short, what he is saying is, when you live your life and you recognize that you have needs, and they are abundantly apparent to you because you're hungry and you need to eat, you're needy, you recognize that you need God's help to live And on the other hand, when you have much, when your needs are little, then your perceived need for God also becomes very little. Now, another thing that stood out to me in that quote is the fact that that was written by John Calvin roughly around the year 1550, about 500 years ago. And I started to think, I wonder what abundance looked like in 1550. And whatever it looked like, I know that even the person with the greatest amount of abundance back then, it was nothing in comparison to what we enjoy in today's world. Think about it in a couple of categories, in the area of health. Back then, your knees went out, your back started to hurt, and you had to live with that pain for the rest of your life, which was probably short because of that pain. In today's world, we can do all kinds of surgeries and restore and replace knees and hips. All you have to do is take a pill to remove a headache or to remove a deadly bacteria from your body, something that would have otherwise taken your life. And all you have to do is pop a little pill and it's gone. What a blessing. Think about the area of travel looking around. Several of you live literally hundreds of miles from where you are right now. And yet in order to get here, to be with your family this day, you just had to drive in a car or jump on a thing that flies through the air. And you were able to be here in hours. Rather than months, weeks, or days. What a gift. We, in this area, live because of the annual rainfall in virtually a desert. And yet, because of the irrigation canals that we have dug and the technology around agriculture, we, many of you, are able to plant crops that grow and can provide a living for you and food for our animals and for others. Again. What an incredible gift that we enjoy in today's world and I could keep going on with advances in communication, entertainment, indoor plumbing, indoor temperature control, refrigeration for our food. We have much to give thanks for in this Thanksgiving. The richest person in 1550 couldn't even imagine the luxuries that we live with today and yet I have to agree with another commentator on this passage when he said, Never in time have people had so much and yet have been so ungrateful. You see, the problem becomes as sinful fallen humanity. You would assume that as our lives improve, as we gain in technologies and the quality and the length of our lives, that we would have more and more reasons to be grateful for all that we have. But often we find the opposite taking place. That as the quality of our lives improve, our expectations also improve. And we just assume and come to expect that life should go well, that we shouldn't have to struggle, that we shouldn't have to carry these burdens, that things should be better. And we become, quite frankly, entitled. And so rather than being grateful for what we have, we get disgruntled over what others have that we don't. It's an extreme example, but it becomes apparent when you see videos, for example, of 16 year old children who are given a brand new car by their parents. And instead of being grateful they throw a fit because they got a Toyota instead of the Mercedes Benz that they had wanted to receive. Now I know that that's an extreme example that hopefully few of us can relate to at all, but that's why. Days like Thanksgiving are important. To just pause and to think about how much we truly have to be thankful for. And it's why I I wanted to look at this text from Luke 17 this morning as well. The the setup for the story happens in verses 11 through 14, and it's pretty straightforward for the most part. Let me just highlight that at the very beginning, we are reminded that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's a subtle reminder that we know where this is headed. That Jesus is not just traveling, but he is on a journey that is going to lead him to the cross. And that is why he is going there. He's going to die and while going there he's passing through samaria and galilee through an area of great tension and conflict because of the the relationships between samaritans and jews to put it lightly they did not like one another there was a lot of tension between those two ethnicities and in some village along the way he encounters 10 lepers now while that term leper is used back then the means a a broader category than we would use today for any number of contagious skin diseases. But because they had these contagious skin diseases, they were outcasts from society. They had to stay away from others so that they wouldn't infect, infect them. And they had to announce themselves whenever they were in public, unclean, unclean, so others would know and stay away from them. They didn't want to get their disease. It was a terribly isolating illness. But they created their own communities because you can't infect one another. And and in that community, ten of them come to Jesus in this village and they cry out to him, Master, have mercy on us. It's clear they wanted to be healed by Jesus they probably had heard the stories of him healing other lepers and cleansing them and they wanted the same for themselves and that's what they get with hardly any fanfare at all we are told in verse 14 when Jesus saw them he says to them go show yourselves to the priest and that's it and in obedience, they start to go, and while they go, they were cleansed. What a miracle! Jesus, just by speaking a few instructions, is able to heal and restore 10 lepers all at once. They had an incurable disease that had destroyed the quality of their lives, and Jesus had healed them. What a display! of his incredible power, his control over all things, including disease. It's a point in and of itself, and it would make a wonderful climax to this story. And yet, as miraculous as that is, that isn't the reason why Luke includes this story in his gospel. Because after that setup, in verses 11 through 14, we get to a real point in the story of of an interesting turn that takes place in verse 15. When something that incredible happens to you in your life, where it's radically changed, how does someone respond to that? Well, we only know the answer to that question for one of the ten people that were healed In verse 15 and 16, we are told that one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This one, the only one of the ten, was able to clearly see the power of God at work in the words of Jesus. He recognized that his life would forever be changed for the better because of what Jesus had done for him. And because of that healing he experienced, rather now than having to stand off at a distance and shouting to Jesus, he's able to run up him with shouts of praise and fall at his very feet to thank and praise God. And right after finding that, we learn of one detail about this man the only detail that separates him from all of the other nine and that is the fact that he surprisingly was a samaritan that he was not only a outsider because of his disease but he was an ethnic outsider someone that the jews would keep their distance from a a half-breed despised as a foreigner An outcast separated from the community of faith. And while we celebrate, and we'll come back to the gratitude that this one person shows, it also causes us to think about, well, what about the other nine? In fact, Jesus directly draws our attention to them. He asks three rhetorical questions about them. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And those questions cause us to wonder, well, what did happen to the other nine? Now, of course, we aren't told. And because of that, if we're going to try to come up with an answer, we have to confess that anything we come up with is speculation. But when looking for clues, is what separated this one man from the other nine? The only clue that we really have is that he was a Samaritan, and we assume that the rest were therefore Jews. And as I said, because of that, the Samaritan was a double outcast, outcast because of his disease, outcast because of his ethnicity, but they were Jews. And as Jews, God had made promises to them. They were part of God's people, and so maybe they assumed that they deserved God's extra attention and an extra work of God in their lives. Perhaps they assumed that they deserved to be healthy. In a world full of people that were able to walk around with no worry about who they bumped into or where they went or when, they were outcasts because they had a disease a disease they didn't ask for a disease they likely didn't do anything to get they just had it and in their mind that wasn't fair why does everyone else get to enjoy life when they have to suffer the disease and the social isolation that comes with it and so in healing them jesus was just making right what god in their mind had gotten wrong They were finally like everyone else. And are we going to point at everyone else and say, well, how come they weren't thankful for the health that they enjoyed? Why pin blame on them? Jesus had just given what they deserved, and so they didn't feel compelled to show their gratitude. Or what might also be likely is, though they had asked Jesus for mercy, what they really wanted was that physical healing from him. And now that they were physically healed, now that their lives had improved, their need for Jesus was done. That's what they wanted from him, that's what they got from him, and now they could move on from him. Again, we don't know for sure. And I want to appreciate what one commentator says, to be very careful about over-speculating an information that isn't included in the text. Because, again, it's not the point. The true point of the passage isn't, the focus isn't on them, it's on that one that came back to give praise and thanks to Jesus So returning our attention to him, when he does this in verse 19, Jesus says to this man, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Now in English, on the surface, it sounds just like Jesus is saying, your faith has healed you. Which is a very legitimate interpretation, but once again, John Calvin and other commentators suggest that can't be exactly what Jesus means because the other nine were also healed. Their bodies were made well. Also, Jesus seems to be saying something more to this one man. And we recognize that more when we see that another legitimate translation to this text is not just that your faith has healed you, but that your faith has saved you. That in recognizing the work of God in Jesus, instead of just getting uh, the healing that he and others wanted. This man received what Jesus was really there to give, which is salvation. Why him? Well, very likely being a double outcast, someone who didn't ever expect that the savior of the Jews would pay him any attention whatsoever in his great need and poverty, He recognized the real gift that Jesus was able to give to him. Not just a better life on earth and a healed body, but an eternal life over a healed soul. That's the climax of this story. A leprous Samaritan outcast was welcomed into the family of God. And on this Thanksgiving, as we look at that person, I think it's an important challenge and encouragement to us. Again, let's face it. When we think back to all times in histories, going back 500 years or even more recently, and as we look around the world, even to this very day, as 21st century Americans, we are so abundantly blessed even the poorer members of our society have so much more than many people around the world today and throughout time have ever had and what is more most of us this morning are people that have grown up in the church we were baptized We've gone to Sunday school and attended youth groups. We've gone to Christian school being told over and over again that we are a part of God's family. And there is so much in that that is wonderful. However, there are times where that might cause us to feel entitled rather than grateful. We assume that since we were baptized, we went to the right church, we gave enough money in the offering plate, and we're Christian school educated, well, then God owes us heaven. When there are times of sickness or ailment, and we turn to God in prayer, and he doesn't answer those prayers the way we want to, instead of looking at our lives or still serving him, we start to question God. As if he owes us healing. Redemption, God, we've done this for you. Why can't you do this for me? And if you don't, I'm going to doubt that you're even out there. And worst of all, we can almost become bored with the incredible idea that Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross to die in order to save you. But this Thanksgiving, I would like to encourage you to look at Jesus again through the eyes of a double outcast. We're not separated from God because of our ethnicity or any disease that we have. It is through our sinful choices that we made that have caused us to have God owe us nothing but keeping his distance from us. Pouring out his wrath on us for what we have intentionally done in rebellion against him. But in his grace and mercy, God has given us so much. He has blessed us materially. He has often healed and heard our prayers. And above all, he has revealed Christ to us and told us that Jesus has come to heal our very souls And as much as today is a wonderful invitation to pause and to think about and thank God for all of the physical blessings that make our lives worth living and make them comfortable and wonderful, and to thank him for that, let's never forget to also thank him for his gift of grace. That greatest gift of all, that in coming to this earth, he died on that cross so that we might not know just a wonderful life in this world for a short amount of time, but an eternity with him. And all we have to do is look to him in faith. And on this Thanksgiving, if that's something you've never done, I encourage you that just like the Samaritan, our physical gifts would turn us to God's spiritual gifts. And this might be the day where you go to Jesus in praise, shouting aloud for all that he has done, falling at his feet and saying, Thank you that I, someone who is so distant from God, was through your blood and grace able to be restored, reconciled, and welcomed into your family. That is the thanksgiving i hope you have today and in the future with that in our hearts let's turn to our god in prayer father in heaven we marvel at your blessings and the marvel only increases when we think again of our unworthiness of any of them but as we list off all of the wonderful physical blessings that you have given to us may we never forget that the greatest gift you offered was the blood and body of your son father that changes everything about our lives both on this earth and into eternity there is only one thing we can do which is to praise you to shout with joy a word of hallelujah and thanks for that great gift. May that be our word of praise and our lives of gratitude from this day forward. Thank you, O Lord, for your great gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.